You're listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast, recorded from the Everstwar Chapel Fine Arts Center in Mishawaka, Indiana. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Bethel University. Great to be with you uh, this morning in this fine institution, uh, an institution which we will uh, come back and talk more about here in a few minutes. This is one that I've got a high degree of familiarity with. Uh, but before I get into to my, some of my remarks, I want to recognize a few friends who are here. First of all, uh, your president, uh, Barb. She, you know, I, I just know her as Barb. Barb is, Barb is my neighbor, lives in my neighborhood, and has to drive past my house to get to hers. So if you ever want to know how I'm doing, just ask Barb how things are going at our house. Uh, of course, Sean, thank you so much for the kind invitation to speak here today. Uh, I've got a number of other friends here. Mark Root, your librarian. Fun fact about Mark Root. Mark is one of my original political mentors. Mark and I sat down when I was 17 years old, and he's a guy who taught me originally how to read a precinct list of what's really going on in politics. So thank you, Mark, for, for being here. Uh, Professor David Stoffer, where is Professor David Stoffer? I saw you in the house. I'll give you a, a fun fact about uh, Professor Stoffer. Uh, he was my, I believe, my fifth grade Sunday school teacher. We go back a long way, and if you want to know what fifth grade Rudy was like, uh, go ahead and talk to uh, Dr. David Stauffer. Uh, Dave Schmidt is in the house. Uh, Dave. D Dave and I, uh, when I was, uh, I don't know, maybe eight, 19, 20 years old, uh, was volunteering on uh, congressional races. Uh, Dave and I were going door to door. We were running phone banks out of Bethel University's campus, Bethel College at the time here. So it's good to see you, Dave. And then I've got a couple of my teammates here, uh, Savannah and Griffin Nate. I don't know where Griffin is, but he is also in the house, my district director. And Savannah helps us on a number of things. Griffin's walking in the back here. If you ever need anything, uh, he's 23 years old, youngest and the best district director in the country. So Griffin, it's great to have you here as well. Um, this is a place here at Bethel University that is dedicated to helping people create a biblical worldview through the course of your education. And I believe that that biblical worldview will help carry you through your life and take on whatever comes at you with a proper perspective. This place is not only dedicated to that, but it's also an important place in the contribution of our public dialogue and our public square. You know, John Adams once said, and I quote, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people, and it is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. He understood that having well-informed citizens deeply rooted in eternal truths was essential for maintaining an ordered liberty and a free nation. He understood that, as Thomas More once said, quote, when statesmen forsake their own private conscience for the sake of their public duties, they lead their country by a short route to chaos. And isn't that a little bit of what we see now, not only in our nation, but around the world? The connection between faith and public service is an essential one. I think we can agree that we see a lot of dysfunction, not only in Washington, but also on the world stage. And I think in part, it's because we've strayed far from those original words of John Adams. 
You know, in the House chamber, I encourage people to come and visit me in Washington. We take time to visit with every Hoosier that comes to the nation's capital. If I were to take you inside of the House chamber, the House chamber that we vote in, that I'll be in tomorrow, I'll fly to Washington tonight and I'll be in that chamber tomorrow. The House chamber that we vote in has been our House chamber since 1857. That chamber is the chamber where we debated things like the amendment to abolish slavery. A hundred years ago, we debated and gave women the right to vote. In that chamber above the rostrum in the back, it says the words, in God we trust. Around the outside of the chamber, there are the half faces of lawmakers over the past 5,000 years of world history who had an influence on the crafting of the United States law. There is one person in that chamber who was afforded not a half face, but a full face. And it's the original lawmaker, Moses. And I think that that's key and it's instructive to the faith that is so deeply rooted in our country and the faith that we as individuals must maintain as we engage in the public sector. You know, as Christians, we need to be clear-eyed about the challenges that we face and ensure that we have a deeply rooted faith that we can use to impact our nation. And it's with that backdrop, I'll share just a little bit about my own background, my own upbringing, my journey to the United States Congress, and I'll share a few things about what I've seen since going to Congress. It was mentioned earlier uh, that I'm a fourth-generation Hoosier. My great-grandparents came over here 100 years ago to escape the Russian army as they were building bases in uh, his town getting ready for World War I. Ultimately landed in South Bend. My grandfather was a union worker at Uniroyal right here in Mishawaka. I was raised in a, in a home that was so deeply rooted in faith. As a matter of fact, when I was a year old, my parents started going to what became New Life Baptist Church. And the original building that we came is literally across the street here. It's now your dance studio. That was our original church. And my earliest memories of my life are growing up playing in the yard across the street from this building. We grew up in a house that, you know, my, my dad, I remember saying, you know, one time, you know, it's like, Dad, I'm sick, I can't go to church. Well, throw up and prove it. <laughs> now, don't you feel better? Let's go to church. Right? That, that's the, the environment that, that we grew up in, such a deeply rooted, conservative, Christian, evangelical environment. You know, growing up in that house, you learn what it's like to keep your eyes on Christ. I didn't always have an easy childhood or background, but that, that deeply rooted faith is what carries me through today. Grew up in business, and then along the way met the love of my life, Sally Ann. A couple of fun facts about Sally Ann. She was a Bethel College graduate. I grew up as an early, in my early 20s. Our date nights would consist of me bringing my rollerblades to this campus and rollerblading around campus, because that's what we could afford. Didn't cost us anything. We got married in, on May 20th of 2006. And when we found out that the auditorium that we were supposed to get married in in our church wasn't yet going to be finished, we had to find a place that was big enough for our wedding. And the only place we could find was this room. And so on May 20th, I haven't been back in this room since May 20th of 2006. And I remember I was standing right here as the love of my life, Sally Ann, came walking down this aisle. She graduated with a degree in elementary education, 
from here at Bethel University, and today she is a third grade school teacher at Elkhart Christian, where our three kids also attend, attend uh, high school. We have a high schooler, a junior high, and an elementary schooler. You know, during my career in business, I also became very, very interested in, in our political system. Back in uh, 2011, I quit my job to uh, go and work for our congresswoman at the time, or a congressional candidate, Jackie Walorski. Jackie was such a, a dear friend of mine. She was, I know, a friend of many of you. She's someone who spoke from this platform at your chapels. I know she was a two-time commencement speaker here at Bethel University as well. Uh, but I ended up working for Jackie, focused on, uh, was actually her fundraiser. Uh, helped her raise a few million dollars back about 10 years ago to get her to US Congress and went back into the private sector, worked at a commercial real estate company here in town where I was able to advance my faith uh, at that company and also help them grow. So really understood what it's like to be in business, what it's like to help people grow a business. Uh, and then went to work for a company called Chemcrest, a commercial real estate, excuse me, a, uh, a supply chain company where I was a director of growth initiatives. And I'll never forget, on August 3rd of last year, we were at a director's retreat up in northern Michigan. And as we were on that retreat, I was actually giving a presentation on a business unit that we had just launched. I had my iPad open for notes in front of me, and literally while I'm in the middle of the presentation, I get a text message across the screen that says, I hate to say this, Rudy, but your dear friend Jackie Walorski was just tragically killed in an auto accident. That rocked my world, that rocked our district's world. Jackie was such a, a not only a dear friend of mine, but she was also a, a believer in Jesus Christ. And in the, the weeks following that, uh, Griffin actually also worked for Jackie and was supposed to be in the car with Jackie the morning that she was killed. And, but for God's grace, he wouldn't be here today either. Yeah, that moment rocked my world, and we spent the next two weeks going through some of the saddest times of our lives before we put together a campaign to go and uh, fill the ballot to replace Jackie on the ballot. We announced the morning of August 15th for what became a five-day race to replace her on the ballot against 11 other candidates. Went through that process, came out on top on August 20th, then ran an 80-day race for U.S. Congress. And through the course of that race, I mean, we just saw God move in powerful ways. I mean, there were people that, through the course of that um, caucus, that, that five-day race, that just signed up to help. People who I hadn't talked to in a, in a long time that just came out of nowhere, even through the course of that 80-day race, that just signed up to help, that, that got on and, and really helped us through that. You know, one of the most powerful words that, that I ever hear when I'm in, in Congress, or even through the course of that campaign, is when someone reaches out and says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. It means so much to know that there are so many believers that are praying for us. People that reach out not just to me, but to my wife, Sally Ann. Let her know that they're praying for her. Praying for my family. You know, in the role that I'm in today, you know, a lot of people, they uproot their families, they move their families to Washington, and you never hear from them again. And that's not the approach that we've decided to take. I believe that you can't represent people you don't know. And you have to get to know the people you represent. And so we continue to live in this district, and I, and I commute back and forth 
get on a plane, which I'll get on a plane tonight, fly back to Washington, and then when our work for the week is done, get on a plane and I come home. And this is where we live. This is our, this is our home. After we won the race in 2000, or last year, on November 8th, I was sworn in six days later in the special election. Went, got to Congress and was put on a couple of committees. Ran for the House Ways and Means Committee, which we were, are still running for, but today I'm on the House Budget Committee, as well as Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. I'm Vice Chair of the Aviation Subcommittee, where we just pushed through an FAA reauthorization bill. But one of the things that I've learned since going to Congress is that there are a number of people in the U.S. Congress that are, it's very, very different than what you see on TV. What you see on TV is absolute pure chaos, and the only way you get on TV is if you're someone that is almost yelling indiscriminately for no reason, and then all the cameras rush to you because you're yelling on TV, which is probably why you don't see me on national TV a lot. I think we need people who are not only people of faith, but oriented towards just doing the right thing for the right reasons. People who are willing to put their head down and go to war. And that's really my style. You will find that in the United States Congress, that is the style of, let's call it about 85%, on both sides, really, of the US Congress. But one of the things that I've been able to do since going to Congress is meet a number of people who share our faith. There's actually a, a Wednesday morning uh, Bible study <clears throat> that I'm plugged into. Where a number, and it's members only, where there's a number of us who are members of Congress who meet every Wednesday, as well as a Thursday morning Bible study. We talk about the things of the faith. We talk about how our faith impacts our public service. We talk about other members of Congress and our colleagues who we know are lost, who we know need Jesus Christ. We talk about how we're living our faith out in the halls of Congress. What can we do to better witness to our colleagues? How are we leading our staffs in a way that is positive and constructive and reflective of the faith that we have? And I think that's no different than the way that you operate within your own environment here at this university. It should be no different than the way that your leadership operates here, the way that your professors operate here. You know, one of the, some of the best advice that I got since going to Congress, someone told me, he said to me, Rudy, if you don't know who you are before you go to Washington, there are plenty of people out there who are willing to tell you who you are. And I think that's a big part of what this university provides you, is an opportunity to get an education while also being deeply rooted in your faith. Things are going to go wrong in your life you're going to have circumstances that come your way that are beyond your ability to control and sometimes beyond your ability to imagine. But having a deeply rooted faith that allows you to know exactly who you are, wake up every day not confused about who you are, why you're here, and what you're here to do, will serve you very well as you go through your life. I'm also reminded of events that are happening on the international stage that we need to pay attention to. You know, more locally here at, at the home front, in order to pay attention to those events, we've got to get back to work in Congress, which means we have to elect a Speaker of the House. Have you guys been watching the news this last week, hopefully? Uh, we will fly back tonight. We have conference this evening in Washington, D.C., where we meet uh, every week, sometimes multiple times a week, the 221 of us Republicans who are elected. 
and our, my hope is that we can elect a speaker this week. I thought this was a huge distraction the last few weeks that we've not been able to pass, whether it's appropriations bills or even support for the nation of Israel. You know, speaking of Israel, a big, this is a, another thing that's just very deeply rooted in my faith. If you read in Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, where God set up and established the nation of Israel, we know that God made a number of promises to Abraham. And he also issued promises and warnings to those outside the nation of Israel, both friend and foe. You know, Genesis chapter 3, or chapter 12, verse 3, God says that he will, quote, be a friend to those who are a friend to Israel. And he will also curse those who curse Israel. We are seeing right now on the international stage in Israel a number of people who are cursing Israel. But we're also seeing a number of people who are being a friend to Israel. You know, I traveled to Israel back five years ago uh, with an organization called APAC. Some of you might be familiar with them. It was a geopolitical trip really focused on understanding what happens in the nation of Israel. The fact that it's a country about the size of New Jersey. The fact that the neighborhood that they live in is really quite rough. And we've seen that here in the last few weeks. We have seen evil on display in a way that the world has not seen in decades. Most of you who are attending Bethel University are either too young or were not yet born on 9-11. I was 17 years old. That type of evil is real. Our biblical worldview calls us to know and understand that we do live in a fallen world. And that evil in this world is absolutely real. For the last five years, even before coming to Congress, we've done a number of things and have been part of a number of organizations that have supported Israel and made sure that the United States of America, always and forever, will be a best friend to Israel. I would encourage you to pray for the leaders of Israel. Pray specifically for Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Pray for their military. You want to talk about a brave fighting force. You know, the nation of Israel, at the age of 18, you are, you know, men and women go into the military, period, end of story, and you serve a few years. Like, that's just what you do over there. And you're not really given a choice. And so they have a perspective that says that they need to defend themselves, and that they will. They are in the process right now of taking whatever actions, and this is where, where I'm at as well, and I support this, they need to take whatever actions are ne they deem necessary to ensure that this never happens again. And they need to do so with the support of the rest of the world, but also with the support of the United States of America. I've joined over 400 of my colleagues in signing on to a resolution supporting Israel. And we will be having a conversation in the coming days and weeks about additional resources that we may need to allocate to the nation of Israel to ensure that they have the ability to defend themselves on a go-forward basis. You know, I've also found so many reasons in our country to be hopeful. Hopeful because we have a nation that is willing to stand up and do the right thing. I think it was Winston Churchill that said that Americans will always do the right thing after all other options are exhausted. And we've seen that here even this, in the last few weeks with our speaker fight. We're seeing that on 
the national stage with our national debt. It's actually one of the reasons I ran for Congress. We've got $33 trillion in debt that if we don't do something about, you all in this room will inherit that when my generation is done running the world. That's why I requested to be on the House Budget Committee. And there are a number of people that are on the House Budget Committee who are absolutely committed to finding the right solutions. We also see, I mentioned earlier, you know, there's a number of people who are, are people of faith in Washington. And that gives me so much hope because one, one of the things I've found since going to Congress is that the United States Congress is a fundamentally good reflection on the American people. Now that's good and bad. It's good because I mentioned earlier that there are a number of people who are of faith, of our faith, who are in the United States Congress. You also find every faith represented in Congress. You find people of every ideology represented in Congress. You find some really, really smart people in the United States Congress. And then there's the other, other perspective, which we'll just leave that aside. But there are a number of people there who, who just generally want to come together and do the right thing for the country. But there's also, on full display, a lot of division. And you find that in our country, too. And so, as our founding fathers intended, the United States Congress is a fundamentally good reflection on the American people. But why do we have so much division? You know, the homes that we're raised in today, we are taught that when we go to our friends' houses, or we go to school, or we go into our neighborhoods, there are two topics that we are never to talk about. Tell me what they are. Say it. Say it louder. Religion and politics. We are to never talk about religion and politics. And think about this. But then, born from us, one every, on average, 750,000 Americans, we elect someone to represent us. And we send them to Washington, to our nation's capital. And what do we expect them to talk about in Washington? Religion and politics. Is it any wonder that when we look to Washington, we ask the question, why can't people get along? I think one of the things that we have to do as a society is learn how to, not only with us, but also learn how to raise our children, to be very comfortable talking about religion and politics in a way that draws people and attracts people to our faith, that doesn't repel them from our faith. How many of you have ever been able to convince someone that thinks about life different than you do, whether it's religion, politics, or any other topic? You convince them to come to your side because you are yelling at them. That never happens. But when it comes to our faith and when it comes to our politics, sometimes we think that the louder we yell, the more people that we will convince to come our way. And as my team knows, I've got a somewhat decent voice. If I thought yelling worked, I would do it. But it doesn't work. And so we have to raise people, raise children who are very comfortable talking about religion and politics in a way that leads people to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Shouldn't that be the goal of us as believers? It's one of the last commands that was given to us. It's a great commission. Go into all the world, making disciples, 
of every nation, baptizing them in the faith. But yet, we sometimes forget that that is our mission. And we do things and we say things, whether it's in our private lives or the public square, that has people questioning whether or not we as believers really want a relationship or a friendship with people who are unbelievers. It's impossible to lead someone to Christ who you're pushing back and who you're repelling against your own faith. You know, the example that I look at in all of this is the example of Jesus Christ. You know, when you read the four Gospels, we find that there are only, there's only one class of people that Jesus Christ ever truly got really angry with. And it was self-righteous religious people who thought that they were better than everyone else. To everyone else, Jesus Christ showed love. He showed compassion. He showed respect. And he invited them to become Christians. And that is very, and that is a way that I've tried to live my own life, whether it's prior to coming to Congress or even as a member of Congress. And so as we begin to close here, I want to close with just a, a couple of thoughts here. You know, the question of faith and its role in the public square is not a new one. The separation of church and state has been debated for generations. And a lot of times we mistakenly believe and we have allowed people to mistakenly believe that a separation of church and state means that people of faith can never talk about their faith in the public square. That is not true. If you go back to its roots, it's rooted in ensuring that the church didn't establish the state and the state did not force a religion, a particular religion, upon the people. It is, does not mean that we who are people of faith cannot share our faith in the public square, that we as people of faith cannot seek elected office, and to live out the values that we so hold dear. It's been debated all the way back even to Jesus' time when the Pharisees asked Jesus about taxes, and he said, and I quote, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's. And so there are, many, there are always questions about what are the appropriate limits of our faith in our public life and the appropriate limits of the public in the lives of our faith. But where could, there can be no debate is that our faith is not solely a private matter. It is deeply ingrained into who we are as human beings. Our faith and our beliefs must always be lived out in the public square. One of the things that we should never have as believers is you know someone for five or ten years and someone says, hey, did you know that they were a Christian? And then someone's shocked. We should never have that as believers. We should never be ashamed to live out our faith in the public square. I also believe that we should never be ashamed to fight for religious liberty, to fight for the ability for us to exercise our faith in a manner within which we choose, particularly within the United States of America. We should never be forced into believing something or living out something that is inconsistent with our own faith and within our own 
values. And we should push back strongly against the suggestion that we have to check our faith at the door when it comes to being involved in public life and being involved in the public square. And the role of the church in this campus, I believe, is to inform the conscience so we can be better citizens and hand off our country to future generations better than we found it. Thank you for having me here today. Thank you for the invitation to come up here. May God bless you, and may God bless the United States of America. Thanks for listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and get more information at chapel.betheluniversity.edu or check us out on the iTunes store by searching for Bethel University Chapel.